Hello, and welcome to Executive Perspective, Behind the Business. In this podcast, we bring you insights and perspectives from government leaders and executives around the Beltway and beyond. Welcome to Executive Perspective. I'm your host, Doug Russell. Today, we're sitting down with Matt Jones. Matt is the president of SAP NS2 Mission Solutions and TMA. In three years as president of TMA, Matt doubled revenue before being acquired by SAP National Security Solutions. Currently, Matt is president of SAP NS2 Mission Solutions, where he is integrating three acquisitions into a rapidly growing mission partner. Matt previously worked for Aragon ST, Boeing, and the U.S. Navy for eight years, where he served on surface ships, submarines, and special operation missions. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, happy to have you. Briefly describe to our audience your background, how you arrived in your current role. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey, went to high school there, graduated, went to college. That didn't work out so well. So then Why not? I, you go to Maryland? No, no. <laughs> well, later. Uh, so college didn't work out okay. so well for me. I decided to join the Navy. I spent eight years in the Navy, as you mentioned. Uh, coming out of that, I had some different opportunities and mm-hmm. decided to join Argonne. Just had an amazing experience mm-hmm. during my time working at Argonne, ultimately acquired by Boeing, and you know was recruited to come to TMA and, and get back to doing something with a small business. We have an amazing team at TMA. It's been a great run, and now you know supporting SAP NS2. Been uh, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. So you've had a kind of varied career, and you've done a lot of different things. Can you kind of point to someone? that has influenced you the most? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I think about that, it's not really, for me, a, a who. It's a, it's really a what. And I think Argonne, for me, was just the most impactful thing in my career. And part of that was joining an organization that was really this sort of utopian society, if you will, right. uh, where the work was really all about the mission, you know, the founders, Terry Collins, Vic Sellier, Tom Murdoch, were all kind of legends in the industry, built this company, 100 people, grew to 1,500 in, you know, 10 years, very successful exit. But at the end of the day, you know, the goals were, you know, be a national treasure, get on platform. Mm-hmm. We were all about the mission. And everybody was working in the same direction, doing the same mm-hmm. things. And it was really a culture that was about the people. And what I took away from that was, as I got in progressively senior leadership roles was, you know what, if you care about the mission, if you care about your customer delivery and you deliver on your commitments Mm -hmm. and you care about your people who are really the people who make all of that possible, you know, you can deliver outstanding results. And I learned that in my eight Mm -hmm. years at Argonne. It was a a really impactful and incredible experience. And, And interestingly enough, there's sort of an equivalent to like in the in football, a coaching train, mm-hmm. where when you look at Argonne, there are several, probably five or six companies today that have either grown and exited or continued to grow that all come from that period of time, which is just kind of an interesting thing. That's a good point. I think a lot of these, I think the timing and getting all these people together. So you mentioned sports. I always like to think of chemistry. So the chemistry of the leadership and of the timing that they have the right service and the right people together. Do you feel like that was something that was at play? T- totally. Our, so and I think it's about 
you know, you know, part of it too, I think a lot of, a lot of times we undersell the value of our customers and the right. impact that our customers have on our business. Because the reality is you can build a really fantastic company with mm-hmm. a team that works really well together. But if you have a customer that really serves as an agitator, that right. really makes that culture hard to hold together. Yeah. I don't think our customers necessarily realize the positive and negative impacts they can and oftentimes do have on our organizations. I also think we as leaders need to be, you know, I'll say I read an article a few years ago that said, I think what might have been a uh, an HBR article, there's about when to fire your customer. And, and right. I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. I mean, there are times when our customers impact our organization so negatively mm-hmm. that our organization would be better suited going in a different direction. So, yeah, I think Argon was really fortunate to have a collaborative customer and a group of people who all sort of shared a common goal and belief and could work in that same direction. Yeah, no, great answer. A lot of success you've had through the through your time and your career, and you know, specifically talking a lot about Aragon ST. Now, usually with a lot of success, there comes with some level of failure. Is there anything that sticked out in your mind that maybe lessons learned category that kind of sticks out the most for you? For sure. You know, the, the, my first, I got, I got lots of failures. I don't know how much time I have here. <laughs> my first would be, would be college, you know, and I, and I tell the story that when I went to college the first time, I majored in soccer. And after the fall season of soccer, my coach called me in and he said, I got good news and bad news. The good news is uh, you're doing fantastic at soccer, which appears to be your major. The bad news is we don't actually offer that as a major. <laughs> and so that was kind of the end of my, college soccer career, you know, but I think the lesson that I learned then was, you know, you can A, recover from mistakes and B, you you really need to invest yourself. You need to be present for you and present for others. You need to put all of your effort into a goal that's important to you and drive towards that. And, And so I think that was sort of a eight year setback for me, but I got the discipline and structure that I needed in the in the military that kind of pivoted my career there. So I think when I look back, that is a really impactful lesson. Mm-hmm. That's about you can do anything you want when you really commit yourself and right. get people around you who support you. That's a great point. I appreciate you sharing that. So next question I have for you is just kind of you sold your company to SAP NS2. What advice would you kind of give to other business owners looking to sell in this marketplace, which has been kind of red hot. Once you sell, you you sort of join this this club where you are often consulted for, hey, what, you know, should we do this? Should we not right. do this? And 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 I think the first thing I say to people is, if you're thinking about it, the time's probably right. Right. I, I think it's rare that somebody is in this situation where say, you know what, we're really just going to. We just want to test the market because if you get good right. results, you're selling, right? And if you get bad results, then you, right. you, you probably, it's not going to work out. Yes. But I think it really comes down to, to three things, right? It's the, it's the objective of the shareholder or the owner. Mm-hmm. It's the trend in the environment and what are multiples and is that going to be good for you? And, and three, it's your company performance. Are you on a good trajectory? Are you not? And, you know, ultimately, it's my personal opinion here. I think you see a lot now with the, the public markets with companies like Uber going public and, mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you know what? People are waiting too long in the private market mm-hmm. so that when you get to the public market, there's really no upside left. 
I think what happens in the market a lot now is that companies get to a point where they can't grow anymore themselves. Right. And the, and the buyer is coming in and putting money towards something that they think they're going to accomplish down the road. Right. And a lot of times, that's why most transactions don't work. Right. right. The company's kind of at the end of the life. The yes. buyer thinks that they're so great, they're going to make it better. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the whole thing just falls apart. It's probably better to move a little earlier. Right. Leave a little bit on the table because it's really hard post acquisition mm-hmm. to not be successful. Right? right. I mean, if you spent your last five, 10 years growing a company, feeling mm-hmm. good about it, and then all of a sudden somebody comes in, there's this change, you're not performing as well as you right. used to, it starts wearing on you and, and it all just goes south. Right. I feel like if you, if you leave a year early, your results are going to continue and you just kind of build that inertia post-deal that just sets things really in motion for the future, for the buyer, for the seller, for the people who are at the company that built it. It's just a better way to exit. Right. And and honestly, what's the old Wall Street thing? Uh, yeah. Bulls make money, bears make money, mm-hmm. pigs get slaughtered. You know, at some point, like how True. much money is enough? Like you got to just make your decision and go. But ultimately, I always say, hey, if, if you've reached out to me because you're thinking about selling your company, mm-hmm. you should sell your company. Right. Now that you've sold TMA to SAP NS2, can you tell us about the integration process? Great question. It's been a really interesting process for, for me and I'd say for TMA. So SAP NS2 actually bought a company volume integration Mm -hmm. and then bought TMA and a month later acquired a company, Apex Expert Systems. And so those three companies are now unified in this mission solutions group, which I'm the president of Mm -hmm. as well as TMA. I'll tell you, bringing three distinct cultures together and aligning it with really what is a fourth culture has been a real challenge. But I think we've learned a lot. And the thing that we've learned is, and, and SAP S2 has been fantastic about this, is not setting artificial deadlines. You know, my previous companies, I had a lot of experience with acquisitions and integrations, both as a buyer and then ultimately as a seller. And I think a lot of times you say, hey, we got to have this done six months, this done by nine months. And the reality is people move at the speed of people and Mm -hmm, culture mm -hmm. moves at the speed of culture. And you can't capture that in a spreadsheet. And so what we've really found is to say, you know, we know where we're going to go. And that is having the opportunity to take commercial technology and deliver it into the DOD and IC space as the mission, you know, subject matter experts Mm -hmm. in the mission solution side. But look, it's a process, not an event. And that that approach has really kept our retention really high. Our results have continued to improve. We're pivoting our business from, you know, just sort of pure play service to service augmented by product, which is improving our top and bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really about, you know, don't don't integrate for integration's sake. Mm-hmm. And integrate for a purpose and don't set arbitrary te- timelines. Set timelines that are, you know, notional. Drive towards those. Make sure you're making progress, but don't force outcomes that aren't forcible. You know, culture is going to move at right. the speed of the people and how fast they want to integrate. There's nothing you can do to force yeah. it. 
Is that something that surprised you? Setting dates and then, you know, during this process, you set the dates, you have the goals, and then the human element, I guess, is maybe what you're kind of defining is that how do you account for that? It's not a spreadsheet, you're right, but how do you account for that, the human element that they're going to, you know, generally most people don't like change. Yeah. So how do you account for that? It's a, a, in terms of modeling, planning, and then integrating and saying, let's put all this together and make it work. I'd say, first off, we were incredibly fortunate mm-hmm. in that, you know, NS2 has not ever set a timeline. So we were never right. behind. Right. You know, we just <laughs> said, hey, let's go. It's a process. This is where we want to get to. Let's just work mm-hmm. towards that. You know, I, I think that, that ultimately it's about doing it rationally, right? right? It's about you can't make change just to make change, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, you know, you don't want to just take benefits and rip them out and right. replace them with something else unless yes. you have a real strategic reason for doing that. But ultimately, right, if if the costs are rising in benefits, then it's it's going to make sense maybe in a year or two. And you can you can sit down with your employees and have a constructive conversation that says, guys, look, right, we were going to have here, X yeah. increase on benefits here and it's Y here. And this makes sense for you and for your family and for us and our business. And we're going to continue to grow and there'll be more money for this or for that. And so I, I think when you make good business decisions, if you lead transparently mm-hmm. and and you can and, and the decision makes sense to you, the decision should make sense to right. your employees. So I'm hearing transparency and communication are seem like they're key elements in that human manage that human element for integration. That seemed to ring true. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share an experience that I had um, that is not with my current employer. You know, we were acquired and through the process, a lot of the employees were saying, we want to understand what's the medical insurance plan. And the acquirer said, we're not, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you because we don't know what next year's plan is. Mm-hmm. And everybody said, listen, we don't, we just want to know this year's plan. And, and ultimately we lost a lot of people who left. And, and I think what the acquirer failed to recognize in that scenario was this. That the person didn't care if the copay was a hundred or $150. The person cared if their pregnant wife could go see the same doctor next right. year. Right. And, and when you start to put yourself in the employee's perspective, you know, that transparency makes the difference, you know, in, in ways we can't think about unless we're in those situations. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, you need to be transparent. Right. I don't run a prison. I run a company and everybody has the right to come and go as they please. Every morning people wake up, they make a decision to mm-hmm. drive mm-hmm. here to work because we have good work and we have good leadership. And the second we don't or the second we're not transparent or the second we lie, they're going to go to a place where they can get what they want. Good stuff. That's a lot of thing we talk about a lot of people with business owners is the hard part to, I guess, to calibrate is the, the timing and then the emotion. So it sounds like your indicator of, you know, indicates in your mind, you're starting to think, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Then it might be a time to start evaluating that option. For what sure. What you're going to say. I, I definitely think, you know, t- timing, but man, let's be honest, right? It's, it's crazy right now. Yes. So, yeah. and, and, and I think every deal, takes longer mm-hmm. than you think 
or longer than anyone will tell you. Mm-hmm. And so you, if you start running numbers, right, you could, you could double your company and the, and multiples cut, cut in half and yeah. you get the same take. Right. And it's a lot of work to do right. that. And so you, you gotta, Really, timing is important, mm-hmm. and and certainly the emotional component is important. But I think once it really creeps in your head, it's kind of like I say with people looking for jobs. Like the first time an employee of mine puts his resume on Monster, it's not a matter of whatever site. It's not a matter of if he's leaving. It's a matter of when. And right. so once you decide, hey, I'm going to call an investment bank and I'm going to get advice on should I sell or not, like you, the process has actually started, started. even though you don't <laughs> know the process has started. Right. No, that's a good piece, uh, good feedback on that. So I want to pivot a little bit outside of things that uh, from TMA, just more you, Matt Jones, what other things are you passionate about other than business? Is there anything else that keeps your mind and time occupied on the weekends? Currently, I'm coaching my daughter's five-year-old soccer team, micro (laughs) mini, I think it's called. I'm the head coach. It's just been really hard for me to make the time, but important to find a work-life balance and something we preach here at SAPNS2 and and TMA. But I'll I'll tell you, it is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that every senior executive should have to coach a kindergarten sports team because it is the most humbling experience in the world. And I think a lot of times, like it's hard to be in the roles we're in and not end up with a little bit of an ego. And I show up and they don't care who I am. And they don't listen to anything I say. And practice <laughs> is complete chaos. And and it is it is just one of those opportunities for you to just kind of say, you know what, I'm I'm not nearly as important as sometimes I think I am. It grounds you. And man, there's nothing better than than spending time with your family. I'm a, I'm a soccer nut. I've played soccer all my life, right. so it's a lot of fun. I thought going in, I was going to have them doing hills and sprints, and we we're going to compete and win. And we're mostly just playing freeze tag with frozen characters. It's, it's a lot of fun. All right. So, no, that's a great insight. What is there a certain part that you find more rewarding than others? Is there a certain part that you find more rewarding? In the, in the coaching, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it has been really interesting for me to see the girls develop and right. and see them have fun playing a sport. And it's it's kind of funny, you know. I, I heard somebody say the other day when I was growing up, my parents told me never get in a car with a stranger. Now I use a phone to to summon someone to do right. so. And and it's interesting to see, you know, we spend all our time raising our kids, telling them, you know, don't take things from others. And then you get them out in the field and say, go get the ball. And so seeing that sort of progression and how the mind works and those sort of synapse connections uh, occur for them, it's just it's just really exciting and rewarding for me. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I think for me also, I'm pretty passionate about STEM. And, right. and specifically having a daughter, you know, getting uh, young girls involved mm-hmm. in STEM early. And so y- you can see there's there's parallels between the impact of learning yeah. how to get a ball and, you know, learning how to code as a young girl. Right. It's, it's about the connections mm-hmm. and how the brain is wired very early on and how that follows you for the rest of your life. And so hopefully I'm a big sports guy. The parallels of the two will encourage these girls right. to go off and do great things. Yeah, no, it's great. You touched on a little bit on STEM. I know Washington Zach, we've done things at an annual STEM symposium. You were a past sponsor, so we appreciate that. What 
initiatives are you guys working on now as it relates to STEM and sort of how what's your involvement today? So in NS2, we're investing pretty heavily on lab in here in Chantilly. Mm -hmm. And that lab we really see as one, a place where we can continue to develop our mm -hmm. products. But it really is something we want to invite the community in. We plan to partner with some disadvantaged schools. We want to bring some women in code initiatives in. We really want this to be a place where, you know, our subject matter experts and our engineers, whether they be radio frequency engineers, digital signal processing guys, and you know, whatever can work with robotics teams can help get these kids excited. And we're investing in some really cool technology, like right. 360 degree projectors and stuff that are just going to get people to, to start seeing what's this cutting edge technology that's out there and how can we apply it to different problem sets and we hope to partner with our customers as well. I think it is so important for us. You know, every day, all of us are looking for people to staff our work. And we mm -hmm. can't execute these jobs. And unlike some of our, you know, global competitors, we can't force people into jobs either. And so we right. have to make it attractive, which I think we've done. But we have to make it accessible. And I don't think this country has done the job that it can making these really great, well-paying jobs that impact national security accessible to everyone. And I think that starts really early. Excellent. That's a great answer. So thank you for that. So now one final question, kind of pivoting, something that can you share something about you personally that maybe your audience would not know? You bet. It's, it's, it's actually sort of an interesting thing for me. I think in my role, people read my background and say, okay, it was in the Navy, surface ship submarines, and they immediately assume since uh, I'm, I'm an executive that I was an officer. And I think very few people know that I was actually an enlisted guy. You know, I joined the Navy without a college degree. I completed my degree after I separated from the Navy. And I think it's a really an underserved market mm -hmm. is, you know, the opportunity that, that a lot of enlisted guys get coming out. And I think we don't invest in that enough. Now, I, I partner with, you know, some organizations like Mission 22 for PTSD, NS2 mm -hmm. Serves, which is our Boots to Suits program. I think these are great opportunities for enlisted guys who are kind of most of the time coming from a blue, blue collar background mm -hmm. and putting them on a track to allow them continue to grow and be mentored you know, I, I don't, I certainly don't, it's not necessarily, I don't, you know, my bio doesn't say enlisted guy, yeah. but at the same time, I, I think, you know, the vast majority of, of people who I interact with are former officers. And so it's, it's a, it's a market that I think our community can do better to explore and develop. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. So I think that's all, all we have for time here. I want to wrap it up here with Matt Jones, president of SAP NS2 Mission Solutions and TMA. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for joining us on Executive Perspective, Behind the Business. Visit our website at www.washingtonexec.com for more content and episodes.